are living a life among us here on earth that we can follow. And we also thank you for the great cloud witnesses who have followed you, who are brothers and sisters in the faith, and who give us courage and hope. Life. 
I, I don't know of any miracles that she ever worked, but I do know this, that in her latter years, she came to Princeton University, and she spoke to a packed out auditorium of young Princeton students, and she gave them a tongue lashing <laughs> for their sexual immorality <laughs> and, and for, um, for the, the prevalence of abortion in our society. And do you know what happened when she finished with them? They all stood and they gave her a standing ovation. <laughs> because the power of God was on her. The authority of God was on her. And they recognized that even if they didn't agree with anything she was saying, you know, they wanted to be in her presence because God lived in her. So I'm going to start with a question. And I, I want to ask you, when you think of a person who carried a powerful anointing of God, who do you think of? Now, there are no right answers and there are no wrong answers, but I want you to kind of go with your gut first reaction, okay? And anybody who did this last year is disqualified because I biased you. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to start now, and I'm going to go around, we're just going to name people, and I'm not going to say anything about it yet. I may say something about it later. But, but as we name people, one of the things, I would, I would just really like you to rejoice in the great cloud of witnesses, and just mm -hmm. rejoice in this family that we have. So I'm going to start, I may have to sit down a little while, I'm going to start here. <laughs> so Micah, who do you think of when you think of a person that carried a great anointing? Moses, actually. Great. Okay. Ethan, and you can name the same person. You don't have to be original. Ethan? Um, I can't remember his first name, but Wigglesworth. Brenda? Brenda? Bill? Mike Pickle. Okay. Nicole? Johnji Lake? Okay. Churchill? Uh, Grant is anointing. Oh. I just, when you think of an anointed person, he just pops to you. Okay. 
Where are we? Um, Brenda, have you thought of something? Oh, uh, yeah, somebody that I knew who was a missionary in Africa. Name? Um, Bob and Karen Chapman. Sorry, one more Bob and Karen Chapman. Uh, Mom? You, honey. It's <laughs> 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 Brother Roger. Brother Roger?
I was blessed to be raised in a Christian home, and God was just part of my life, part of my instruction, part of my imagination. My mother told, and I remember this too, but I don't remember saying anything about it. My mother said, one of my, one of my favorite games when I was young was to take a ball outside of my grandparents' house and throw it up on the ceiling and let it fall down and catch it and throw it up again and down again. And my mother asked me what, um, what I was doing one day, and I told her, I'm playing ball with God. <laughs> and, and I was, and we would imagine all sorts of things, like God was dropping babies down and was catching them. I couldn't drop them because he was giving me babies. Don't drop it. <laughs> it's a lot of responsibility. <laughs> I found that in my when I was little. Man, I, probably a lot of you are familiar with these. I had a little Fisher Price dollhouse, the kind that opened up in the middle and see the little people. Yes. And I love my Fisher Price dollhouse, and I love to put all the people around and make stories about my little people and, and have them do whatever I wanted them to do. Um, and sometimes what I had them do was not very nice. <laughs> because I had feelings in me that were not very nice. But I, I was also aware that my house was, was like a Fisher Price house to God. That the, the ceiling was open as far as he was concerned. And he was looking around watching his little people do their little thing. <laughs> and I, I realized the whole world is like that to God. The whole world is that. And he's all, he can look straight down into the house and see what everyone's doing. And not only that, that um, his relationship with me is not like my relationship with my little, little people. I understood from the beginning that I have a will, but I also understood God had a story in mind. He has a big story in mind that involves all the little people and all the little houses. He has this big story, and it's a good story. And I have the ability to, um, to say no. God. And I, I figured that out really early on. <laughs> but it also grieved me. It grieved me because I, I hated sin as a child. I, I did sin as a child. I remember I remember um, asking, just begging God for his mercy and forgiveness when I was three years old because I understood that I was a sinner. And I hated that feeling of being separated from or not being separated. I, would, I mean, God could always look down in my little house. I was never separated, but I wasn't moving the way he wanted me to. I wasn't in the story in the way he wanted me to be in the story. And I hated that feeling. And so I think that for me, that was the beginning of an understanding of consecration. I live in the presence of God. My life is open to God. My life has a purpose in God. And at three or four years old, I was really happy with whatever that was. I mean, most of that involves, you know, eating peanut butter sandwiches and playing outside and watching Sesame Street. And, you know, that was, that was good. But it was all done in the presence of God. And it was, it was very easy. It was very natural. When I got a little older, um, I started to have my own own dreams and ambitions, and they were good in the sense that what I really, really wanted to do was to serve God. Um, and, and Brett talked about this in, in his, he had a, Brett gave us a great teaching in the last retreat. Brett said that he wanted to be the next Brother Andrew, or the next Billy Graham. 
And I, I don't think my ambitions were quite that high, <laughs> but I wanted to do something for God. And so in my mind, the way that you served God was you became a preacher. That's, that's it. But there was a problem with that, and that's that I was a woman. And in my church, women weren't pastors. And so, and so I began to, as Watchman Nee say, have a controversy with God. This <laughs> controversy with God, and it went something like this: It's like God. I love you, and I want to serve you, and I believe that you gave me this desire to love you and serve you. Um, but then you closed the doors because you made me a woman, and that's not fair. <laughs> that's kind of how it went. And, and I, I, that was what I felt. I, it was hard for me to articulate because I knew that God was always right. <laughs> um, yeah, but... Um, but it's how I felt, deep in my heart, that's how I felt. And things kind of were okay. Yeah, they were okay until um, I had a baby. Now what happened before that, Thomas and I got married. We got married in a wonderful church where I was very active in leadership. And so, so I couldn't teach, and I couldn't preach, I could lead mission trips, I could go to meetings. And I felt very happy. Then Thomas and I got married. We went off for two years. I came back and I was pregnant. And while I was gone, lots of other women had gotten pregnant and they had babies too. And I found that all of a sudden, I was not invited to any more of those meetings. Um, I was left at home along with my baby. And I began to feel left out. I've been giving a school life that involved women, involved godly women. And I think that that's pretty pervasive in our culture. And, and I'm going to come to this. At this retreat, I counted yesterday 22 women at this retreat, or 22 new women at this retreat, and nine new men at this retreat, people that weren't here last year. When we went around and named 
the people that you thought were anointed and carried by God, um, carried an anointing from God. Twenty-two of you named men, and um, well, there are more of you here, and then uh, uh, ten named women. So that's pretty good, but that's still a two-to-one ratio, and it and it's interesting because there are almost twice as many women as men. So that means that most of you women are named men. Can I name a woman? <laughs> to talk about men and women, masculine and feminine. I did that a little bit last year, but I, I don't feel it's where we're supposed to go today. But what I feel like I want to talk about is this idea of consecration and trust in God. And God has a plan for our lives and it may not look like the anointings that we, um, that we admire, the, the things that we have always hoped that we were in. That may not be what it is, but God's plans for us are really, really good. And I'm going to steal it. I want to ask you a question. Who was the father of the Judeo-Christian faith? Oh, wait. I have something else that I But I'll say this. Who's the father of the Judeo-Christian faith? <laughs> Or Abraham. Abraham. Father Abraham. Let me ask you a question. How many miracles did Abraham work? None. How many people did he convert? Why is he the father of our faith? What does scripture say? What makes Abraham the father of our faith? He believed God. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. What marked Abraham's life was his relationship with God. Abraham lived before there was a Bible. Yeah. He lived before there was a Bible. He lived before the Mosaic Law. There were no laws to keep. There were no sacrifices to keep. He heard God's voice directly. That's, that's what he heard. He knew God's voice. He obeyed God's voice. And this is what God said to him. Genesis 12. God comes to Abraham. He's 75 years old. Now, in the very early part of Genesis, 75 years old is not that old to have a baby. But by the time we get to three or four generations before Abraham, <coughs> stop having children in their 60s, 50s, 60s. And so Abraham is old at 75 not to have a child by his, by his time. And God comes to him and says, I want you to leave your father's land. I want you to pack up and all, I want you to take, I just want you to leave and I want you to follow me. He's 75 years old and the desert, as George said, is not a fun place to go wandering around. It's 75. It is. It's just really, leave your comfort zone and I just want you to follow me around in the desert. Abraham says, okay. This is the promise. God says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and I will, and you, uh, you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. I am totally lost. 
<laughs> so that was that was that was Abraham's consecration. He had the sense that God has a plan, and I don't know what God's plan is, but it involves blessing me to bless the earth, and so I'm going to go out and do what God says. So he starts walking around, just doing his best to follow God's plan. Well, there's a famine. They go down to Egypt. He gets scared. He lies about Sarah. Abimelech takes Sarah as his wife, and, and God appears to him in a dream and says, you are a dead man. <laughs> Abraham is consecrated. Sarah is consecrated. I have a plan for you. I know you don't understand it, but I need you both in this holy, set-apart relationship for me. So, so they escape. They leave Egypt. God comes to, to Abraham again, Genesis 13. God tells Abraham, look around. Everything you see belongs to your descendants. I will make your offspring like the dust. And Abraham builds an altar. So Abraham is called. He obeys. He messes up. He's called again. I'm still, that's a, I'm still in this. This is still my plan. Abraham builds an altar. Years pass. We get to Genesis 15. God appears to Abraham, Abraham again. He says, I am your shield, your great reward. Abraham says, God, I've heard this before, you've said this, but I have no children. <laughs> God promises Abraham that he will have a son, and this is what scripture says. This is where it says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And there's this fantastic um, picture of this covenant, this deep darkness comes over Abraham, which I, I, have a, I think that that deep darkness symbolizes doubt. I think it's really this... this this darkness of the soul, because he stays there all day. He makes this, he, he sacrifices two bulls, and he works all day in the hot sun, fending off the vultures, and God does not show up. <laughs> God does not show up. He starts in the morning, God is not there in the morning, God is not there at noon, God is not there at sunset, <laughs> until this deep, deep darkness comes over and he falls asleep. And, and God appears to him in a very mystical way. Um, now, Sarah gets impatient, right? Sarah gets impatient, and in this whole thing, this whole time, Ishmael is born. And as George said, God has a plan. God has a plan to work through Abraham, a plan for blessing the whole world. But Abraham doesn't see the plan totally. And, and, and Abraham and Sarah decide to help God out with Ishmael. <laughs> God does not violate their will. Mm -hmm. um, God does not prevent them from making that decision, but God says, that is not my plan. Ishmael is not my plan. I will bless Ishmael, but that is not the promised son. I have another plan, and you are still called to that plan. So, Genesis 17. This is 24 years after Abraham leaves his home. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. That's the idea of consecration. I want you to walk before me faithfully. I want you to be blameless because what I am doing through you involves you obeying me. It involves you hearing me. It involves you being with me. When, when we sin, we can't hear God. Have you noticed that? It's really hard to hear God. And, and there's no Bible. There's no scripture. There's no formula for Abraham. There's no, there's no formula at all. He has to be in the presence of God. He has to practice the presence of God. So be blameless and walk before me. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. So it says here, 
It says here that Abraham is on the ground laughing. Sarah's not the only one that laughs. Abraham is on the ground laughing. And I think what's going on in Abraham's heart, he's saying, God, I hear you, I believe you, but we have done this before. <laughs> I'm 99 years old. And if you still want to do this, this is okay. I, because the presence of God was on him. The presence of God is enjoyable. He was enjoying the presence of God, but um, this is when he says, just bless Ishmael. And, and God says, I will bless Ishmael, but, but I'm going to make a sign of my covenant. If you haven't gotten the point, here's the sign. I want you to circumcise yourself.
God comes to, to Abraham, and, um, and it's just this, this really beautiful, mysterious picture of, of the, the three visitors, the Trinity. It says, shall we tell Abraham what we are about to do? Because it's basically the promise, the covenant is coming through. So he tells, um, he tells Abram that he is about to destroy, destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham intercedes. Like he, you know the story. He intercedes. The city in the end is not saved, but I, my feeling is God loves that exchange. He's, he is so enjoying Abraham's intercession, his friendship. And, that. and he does say, what? But Abraham was an intercessor. Abraham was not a miracle worker. He was not a military figure. He was not a king. He was an intercessor. And mm -hmm. He was the father of our faith. I want to ask you a question. If Abraham is the father of our Judeo-Christian faith, who is the mother of our Christian faith? I don't think there's a more beautiful picture in scripture of what it means to be consecrated to God than Mary's relationship with God the Father and God her Son. And there are some fascinating parallels between Mary's life When Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you have found favor with God, you're going to bear a son. How, how does Mary respond? <laughs> and, and it's, you know, it says, this is not a sweet little, I mean, it says, they cried out in a loud voice. And you get the impression that they are a good distance apart when this happens. And there's nothing to make us think that Mary had sent a letter and said, I'm coming, I'm coming. We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> but um, there is this incredible prophetic exchange. It says, in a loud voice, that's going on between these two women. And Elizabeth says something to Mary that brings us back to that beautiful Genesis 15-6 verse. Blessed is she who believed there would be a fulfillment of the word that was spoken to her. Mary and Abraham both received favor of God through faith. They both believed. They both believed. Just like, every, just like Abraham, everything in Mary's life pointed to the Son. That was her entire calling, was to raise this one son. Mm -hmm. It was Joseph's calling, too. Joseph didn't ask for it. Joseph lost everything. I mean, Joseph is an incredible father of our faith. He's a beautiful example of a man laying down his life for his wife and his children. Joseph doesn't only risk his reputation, but an angel appears to him in the middle of the night and says, get up and leave. He gets up in the middle of the night and he leaves. And that's, that is huge. He left his friends, he left his livelihood. He lost everything because of Mary and Jesus. 
into Egypt. Their whole life consisted in raising this one child. Everything about their life revolved around raising Jesus. And this is a fascinating thought. George talked yesterday about the formation of Jesus. Jesus was a man. Jesus was God, but he was a man who was formed spiritually. He was formed in the desert for 40 days before he was tempted by the, by the devil. Where was he formed the 30 years before that? Now, let me ask you a question. If you were God the Father, and, and you were going to send your son into the world, the whole world, the whole world has to be redeemed. This, this is the only plan. You've got one son, and he's going to live on earth for 33 years. Would you really spend, would you invest 30 of it living in a home with, you know, with your mother, taking care of your mother? 30 years. That's like 90% of his life was lived at home. so much of Jesus' formation. 30 years at home with mm -hmm. Mary and Joseph. And Joseph, Joseph dies in that. And so there's some time in which Mary and Jesus are the family. No. imaginative process. What is going on? 
I'm thinking that the rabbis, the priests, the Pharisees are sitting there talking with this guy, and they're thinking, this is a child prodigy. <laughs> if I make him my disciple, it's going to make me look good. Because this is a child prodigy. Guess, I am guessing that Jesus probably had some invitations to stay in Jerusalem. I don't know that. Scripture doesn't say that. But, but Jesus doesn't seem all that eager to me. But what is, the, what is the counsel of the Holy Spirit? Mary and Joseph come into the temple. Jesus is there. There are all of these teachers here. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what kind of exchange there is. But what scripture does say is that Jesus returned with Mary and Joseph and, became, and was obedient to them. He was obedient to them. God the Father's plan for Jesus at that time was to return him to the home of Mary and Joseph. That was a better place for him to be trained in the temple at that time. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. When I think of Jesus and Mary, I think of this precious bond that they have. Because Jesus and Mary shared a secret. They had both had an encounter with God that was unlike anyone else's in the world. And Mary knew that she could not tell people. There were a very few people who knew where Jesus came. Joseph knew, Elizabeth and Zechariah knew. But who else could she tell? Who else should she tell? Because all of hell was bent on destroying that child. This is not something you can talk about. This is a secret that has to be kept. The identity of Jesus was secret. Mary and Joseph taught him to keep it secret. And you see this in the early Gospels, right? Jesus will heal someone and say, don't tell him. It's not time. Don't tell him. Where did he learn that? He learned it from Mary. But I do believe that as as Jesus grew up with Mary and Joseph, his giftings did naturally start to take place. And it, it, I believe he started doing practicing work. Maybe he didn't even know what he was doing. The first, but I believe that he had worked miracles before the first miracles reported in the Gospels. And here's why I believe that. Jesus. Um, Jesus has just begun his public ministry, and it's not all that public yet. But he seems to have a few disciples. He's been baptized, has a few disciples, probably disciples that have left John. And they get invited to a wedding. Right? So, and they're going with Mary. Mary's at the wedding, Jesus, and a few of his disciples. But he has a few And they're at this wedding, and someone tells Mary, Bride and the groom have run out of wine. So Mary flies up to Jesus, and Ethan's lived in her home, so it was like, just looks at Jesus and says, They have no wine. <laughs> That's all she says. <laughs> but I think there was a lot that was implied. Kind of like, Tomorrow's garbage day. 
believe that there's this kind of this like exchange is going on between Mary and Jesus, and she's smiling at me like, come on. <laughs> and then he's like, but you always told me not to do this. <laughs> Children. Maybe this isn't about me. Maybe this is about the future generations. 
I, I think that that's, um, it changed, it changed my life. And I began, after that day, I began to much more easily experience God's presence in my life as a housewife. I'll tell you, that was one of the most powerful encounters I've ever had with God, just mopping my floor. Another one was doing dishes. <laughs> one day I was just doing dishes. I was kind of minding my business doing dishes. And I was thinking about I was thinking about my church, my Catholic church, and how everyone holds hands to say the Lord's Prayer. I think, oh, that's just so sweet when everyone says the Lord's Prayer together. And all of a sudden, it was I couldn't see him with my eyes, but I just felt and I heard in my heart the voice of Jesus saying, do you want to pray that prayer with me now? I was like, here in the kitchen with you? <laughs> and, and I was confused. But Jesus said, we pray to you? Um, this is confusing. <laughs> and I felt him say, no, listen. God is, God is my Father. God is your Father. God is our Father. Let's pray together. It was so sweet. Another one of the most powerful life changing encounters I ever had God was at the grocery store. <laughs> and I'll just, I'll, you can hear the that God hangs out at the 7th Street HEB, if you ever wonder. So I, I became more settled in my own heart. years of my life have been really, really wonderful, very sweet, and what I, I think that that once um, once I could consecrate myself to to be God's in my kitchen and in my grocery store <laughs> and changing diapers, He began to open up other doors, and and the last couple of years I have been teaching. And it's been really sweet. Um, and Brett and George are two of the people that has really used to open up that door. And it's been fun. You know, it's, it was a lot of fun to spend three weeks in Europe. That was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that. And as almost all of you know, um, as I was working, starting to prepare this talk on consultation, because let's, let's revisit this thing. Have you really got a name? Because I have a plan for your life, and it's not your plan. <laughs> and I have to tell you, when I found out I was pregnant with our fifth child, I, was, I had a swirl of emotions. Because I had really was enjoying life the way it was. Thomas and I were often isn't it great to go out to do more than babies? <laughs>
became happy because we began. God does have a plan. He does write my story. He does love me. And I was just I was very thankful for that. So I think it's kind of funny that I'm giving this talk today. This is the first day I've been wondering this like that. It's really pretty pleasant. <laughs> but I think I have a quick conclusion. But <laughs> 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 I can't find it. <laughs> I think that, you know, one thing I wanted to say in conclusion is that we are... We are all children of Abraham. We are part of a holy people. We are chosen people, a holy nation. Peter says, come to, come to Jesus as a living stone, rejected by men. Well, that's Jesus. I'm sorry, I'm getting confused. Yeah, come to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men. But he is building us. He is building us into this living temple. And we don't choose which they were placed in the building. You know? We don't choose which whether we're a door, whether we're on the front or the back, or a pie or a floor. We don't choose who's next to us. But God chooses, and we are living students. And God has a plan for all of us. And with all of this, it begins by consecrating our lives, by giving ourselves to God, saying, I, I believe. You have called me to be part of this holy people. And I'm going to make myself, um, I'm going to make myself available to you. I'm going to live in your presence. I'm going to practice the presence of Jesus so that I can hear your voice, so that I can give myself to you. The other thing about these, these anointings, these ancient anointings, is that they are really not about us. They are about the future. They point to the future. Just like Abraham said, just like Mary said, they point to the next generation and the next and the next until Jesus returns. And so we always look out to the future. Mm -hmm. and, um, the prophets, you know, there's this beautiful verse. You know, Jesus says, you know, the prophets long to see these days. And, and I believe that in this great cloud of witnesses, there, there are there are these promises. We long to see these. We long to see the days of the coming of the Lord. And that's what and that's what our lives they are. They are to serve the purpose of returning Christ. Uh, so I think I am out of things to say. <laughs> <laughs> Father, we thank you uh, for Amy and for what you have done, what you are doing, what you will do in her life. Thank you for this child. Thank you for the many children uh, coming in our, in our community. But thank you for the next generation that's represented on this retreat. And we now turn our eyes... Uh, in your plan towards the return of Jesus to the earth. Mm -hmm. And we say, come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Mm -hmm. 
Come quickly. Father, would you bring to culmination the plan and the story that's begun from the very foundation of the universe was, was furthered in Abraham, was furthered in Mary, but is not yet complete. Would you complete your plan, Father? We ask you. Complete your plan. Put us in our place in this story. Help us find our place. Let us not think too highly of ourselves or too less of ourselves. We want to be in our place, consecrated to you, given to you. We ask for your help. It's so hard for us to do that because we are distracted by our ambitions. And we're distracted by our need for affirmation and our plans to to create affirmation based on our own actions. So we ask for your help, God. We want to be part of this story. We want to be in our place. Help us, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, do your work, Father. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.